Right here. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want him? Yeah. Guys, this is episode 22 of the Redneck Tech Podcast. I'm here with a buddy of mine who does a lot of the same stuff that I do. Um, he gets to work with a lot of companies that I haven't had an opportunity to work with before, so he's got a lot of perspective on working with different clients, and he does a lot of self-filming, does a lot of short films. Um, his name is Tim Inslee with Living the Brand. What's going on, Tim? Not much, man. How's it going today? Oh, man. Trying to get a few things done. <laughs> I've got to get in the truck and go to the post office, ship hard drives, all that good stuff. And um, you were telling me earlier when we were talking that you've had phone issues. And in our world, you have to have a cell phone. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you when your uh, cell phone goes down, it's like you're you're out. Of, but I think it's that way with everybody. But you're you're out of touch with with the world, especially in our industry. Um you know, we're constantly getting texts or emails. I mean, it could be the difference. And especially for like what you and I do, we both do, you know, a lot of freelance work and, um, you know, if somebody can't get a hold of you in a, in a matter of a few minutes, they're going on to the next guy. Okay. So, uh, uh, it could be the difference in, you know, getting a job that could be super important to helping you pay your bills or, or not. And if your phone's down, uh, yeah, it's just a pain in the butt. <laughs> yeah, it is. And that's, and you know, I've talked about it a couple of times on the podcast. One of my biggest pet peeves is somebody not being a good communicator. So when they don't answer their phone or they don't text back and it might, you know, maybe the, the reason is their phone's, you know, on the fritz or whatever. But with as many different channels as we have today is being able to get a hold of somebody between email, Facebook, Instagram, you know, text, you know, all the other thousand ways. It's just crazy for somebody not to be a, a good communicator answer the phone call people back and all that good stuff yeah and the fact that the fact that we've got it all right in the palm of our hands now you can you know you can just uh we can stay on the move i mean it doesn't lock you down in an office like like us i don't have to stay locked down in my office all day if i have things i need to do or i have to run into town or i want to go to the gym in the mornings or i want to do whatever i want to do yeah. you know i've got you know i can still answer emails still answer phone calls, uh, you know, whatever, uh, a text yeah. well, while I'm wherever, rather yeah. than being just locked down in front of my computer all day at and, the office waiting on an email. And technology can be so good when it's working and it can be so bad when it's not. You know, I was, yeah. I was in IT for two years before I started, you know, doing outdoor television and, uh, I'm, I'm pretty tech savvy. I can go through and usually fix a problem. I can, um, you know, usually diagnose what's going on, especially on a Mac. I spend a lot of time on a Mac. So uh, recently I, I actually upgraded my phone too, and my new phone would not airdrop with my iMac and my MacBook. And my <laughs> old phone worked seamlessly, and I airdrop stuff between my computer and my phone almost daily. You know, if you have a picture you want to post or a short video or whatever, or, I, you know, I screenshot ideas all the time, and I've got a folder that I keep them all in. That way if I'm about to start a new project, you know, I'll open up that ideas folder and just kind of look through them and, you know, try and get some inspiration for some stuff. But when my phone wouldn't airdrop, you know, you wouldn't think it was a huge, you know, huge issue. But for me, it was. It was, it was aggravating me. And I had to put in a support call with Apple and go through that whole rigmarole. And you actually had to go all the way to the Apple store today, which is never a fun trip. 
Yeah, never a fun trip to go to Apple. You're you're a whole lot more organized than I am, and and, and I'm not super tech savvy. I can tell you, um, I'm not like everything I do is generally trial or error, or calling you, or calling you know one of my other buddies that are a lot more tech savvy than I am, and saying, hey, you know, how do I do this, or how do I hook this up, or how are you running this, or, um, yeah, like I'm a, I have a. You, you may have seen the picture of you know my my office with my my new editing setup and you know uh, setting up four monitors to my new computer and all that stuff. Like it, it took me a minute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> four... you guys like guys like you, you probably like. Yeah, I have that much. Yo, I, yeah, I, I I geek out <laughs> with stuff like that. I like doing stuff like that. Like I'm the only person in my family that has any kind of technical knowledge, so I get the calls from everybody, and I have a huge family, so I get a call if it's not from you know, a message or somebody on, for, you know, Facebook or Instagram asking about something camera related or filming related. It's somebody from my family saying, Hey, I got a new Blu-ray player and I don't know how to hook it up or something like that. Right, but, uh, right. but uh, anyway, tell me about living the brand. Tell me about, you know, that project that you've been working on with Badlands. Well, living the brand started out, um, a few, I guess about three years ago now. And I've been working with Badlands pretty much since I kind of wandered into the outdoor industry, I guess probably they were the second company that actually, uh, uh talked to me. I, I didn't go in and, and, you know, I wasn't going around looking for sponsors or looking for work. I actually had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, as far as the outdoor industry, I'd spent 27 years of my life rodeoing for a living. So, um, rodeoing. what kind of, what kind of rodeo? And I didn't know this. Tell me about this. Yeah, so uh, I was a professional rodeo cowboy for 27 years. I, I was a, a calf roper. I, my wife and I traveled all over the United States and Canada. And you, were a calf, you were a calf roper? Yep. Header healer? No, calf roper. I, so I what's the difference? I don't, I don't know a whole lot about roping. I, I hang out with okay. my buddies in Oklahoma and rope goats, and they head and heal. I didn't know there was a difference. <laughs> yeah, so calf rope is where you rope, rope, rope the calf, and then you, you oh, run you, down there and throw it tight. Ah, okay now i know it's okay yeah. so i so, did not know that that is interesting as crap to me yeah so that's that's what i did for i mean that was my living for 27 years i mean that's 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 all i did and um i'd i'd, I'd venture to guess you've got a couple aches and pains when you wake up in the morning yeah i do um i've got you know some jacked up shoulders i've had both knees operated on and um you know there's things you just know you're gonna you're gonna live with i mm -hmm. mean obviously it's not like the bull riders where you know they break a lot of bones or or just get into you know some serious serious uh surgeries and stuff i mean for me i guess i came out of it pretty good i've got you know some some you know ankle issues both my knees have been operated on i've got rotator cuff damage in both my shoulders mm -hmm. i've got four compressed vertebrae yeah. in my back but you know other than that i came out of it pretty good <laughs> <laughs> yeah. lord of mercy sounds like a car wreck but hey man the car don't look great but hey it's not totaled it's, it'll still run that's what you it's pretty much what you just described to me and i have such right. i have such, such a huge respect for anybody that does things on horses because i did not grow up with horses and i'm i believe that the only way that you love horses is if you grew up with them because i have a huge large hate for horses i guess hate is a strong word because I, horses and i don't get along you know i've had to do one or two hunts that involved horses and none of them have been 
ones that I want to do again. You know, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to get one of those, you know, e-bikes that my Rambo bike so bad is because right. if I ever, if I never have to get on another horse for a hunt, I will be happy just because I, <laughs> nothing in the words of Chuck Wellmore, nothing that big should not have a key in it. Right. Right. <laughs> Some people feel that way. You know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, I grew up, my dad is, you know, uh, my dad was a rodeo cowboy. My dad made his living through rodeo. My dad's actually in the, a Texas Cowboy Hall of Fame. And, um, you know, so I grew up in rodeo. I knew what I was going to do for a living. I guess probably about the time I was six or seven years old, my aspirations were to to live my life through rodeo. And, and that's what I did. And, you know, it, it's... That's really it's cool. Kinda, it's kind of like, uh, I'm, I'm learning it's a lot like the outdoor industry. If you want to get in it, don't expect to get rich. But expect, you know... You can definitely expect to make a make a living oh, and, yeah. uh, if you're if you're willing to work for it and um, and you're willing to put everything into it. But you know, there's there's not a there's not a ton of us on our end of it that are, you know, it looks all glamorous and 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 wonderful on the outside. But you know, I mean, we're not we're not getting rich doing what we're doing, but we're we're enjoying life. And it's kind of the same thing with rodeo. I mean, wow. I, I did it and uh, I traveled everywhere all over the country and and was able to, you know, keep my bills paid barely yeah. most of the time. Yeah. But, uh, well, rich, but it, rich is also a relative term, you know, rich can sure. mean, you know, uh, you know, financially wealthy, but I feel like I'm rich just because I now get to do a job to where I get to be home with my family a lot more than I did. I get to, for the most part, make my own schedule, be, you know, you know, I get to control my own destiny for the most part. And I, I can control, you know, pretty much every aspect of what I do. So that's, to me, that's, a, you know, just like you're saying, maybe not me financially rich, no, because if you're getting into this to be financially rich, you're barking up the wrong tree. But um, right. there are other and, there are other ways to be rich. And I guess, you know, you're talking about where did the living the brand come yeah, from. That's, that was yeah, we got a little off track, a, sorry. Well, I, I took us off track a little bit because it was, that's, it, living the brand kind of comes back to, you know, my rodeo days and, and, just basically a cowboy saying, um, you know, you, uh, you ride for the brand and, uh, you know, when you're riding for the brand, you, you, you know, back in the old days, the, the cowboys on the ranches worked for that specific ranch and that specific ranch had a specific brand and you rode for the brand and that's who you worked for. And everything you did was, you know, to, to work for that brand. And, and, uh, if you were, uh, if you were a lifetime cowboy on one of those ranches, you were, you were living that brand. So, uh, that brand meant everything to you. The brand that was on the cattle that were on the horses, that was on the, you know, the, the, the gate post to come into the ranch was the brand that, that symbolized everything. This is, this ranch is the brand. Hmm. And I think when I came into the outdoor industry, one of the things I, one of the things I saw in the first couple of years was how easily it was for, how easy it was for people just to, you know, today we're representing this company and, you know, tomorrow this, this company, you know, is offering us five more dollars. So we're going to jump over here and, and, and represent this company. And, and, uh, I just, I guess I saw a lot of brand jumping and I just thought, you know, um, uh, the, the first two, the first two companies that offered me any kind of opportunity in the outdoor industry was, was bear archery and, and uh, Badlands, and um, and at the time I didn't even know what I wanted to do. They just 
I, I developed a personal relationship with those guys and um, I wasn't in there looking for anything or asking for anything. And when I came home from my very first ever ATA, which I went to with, with a friend and, and uh, just to see what it was all about, because all the years I rodeoed, I was still I was still bow hunting part of those years. You know, in the wintertime, I'd have about a month off that I could actually hunt. And I just immersed myself in, in archery. And that was the only thing outside of rodeo that I ever was super passionate about. And um, so when I retired from rodeo, my wife basically said, you got to you got to find something else you're as you're that passionate about and make a living at it because you've pretty much been your own boss your whole life. So, uh, I don't think you're going to be happy sitting in an office. And no, that's so, told my wife that too. I'm not sitting in no office. Yeah. And I just wandered, I just wandered into ATA, not really knowing anything about it, but, uh, um, uh, was introduced by a few people to, uh, the right people, I guess. And when I came home from ATA, uh, I got a couple of emails, uh, from Badlands and Bear, and, and um, both of them offered me actually, you know, VIP pricing on stuff, and you know, we'd like to, you know, offer you a discount, and I was excited about that. I'd had sponsors all the way through my rodeo career that paid me and did stuff, but I was always willing to work my way on, and if those guys were willing just to give me stuff at a discount, you know, I was excited, especially being a nobody and not really knowing anything or anybody in the yeah. industry. And by the next year I was, you know, part of their, you know, bear shooter staff and uh, part of the very first ever Badlands uh, operative staff. And, um, uh, and that's kind of where living the brand came from was uh, I've, I've been with the same companies, the same, I've been with the same basic six companies for eight years now um i just i've been through the ups and downs with them i mean there's been years that you know they're rebuilding and i would i would take a hit for them but that's what that's what riding for the brand's about i mean if you yeah. believe in if you believe in somebody and you believe in what they stand for and you believe in their product and you believe in and the people you know i think it's i think it's worth your it's worth your while to stay hooked through the good times and the bad. And, um, and that loyalty, you know, I think will pay off in the end. And that's what, you know, living the brand stands basically stands for to me is, you know, whatever brands we're representing, we're living for the, you know, we're living that brand. Mm -hmm. Um, so if it's the Badland bull, I mean, you may, have, I know you've seen, I've got the actual Badland bull logo tattooed on my arm. It's the only tattoo I have. That's uh, um, that's commitment right there. And, um, uh, you know, so, uh, personal relationships with those people. And after a while, when I decided I wanted to get into the, to the filmmaking yeah, that part was, of it, that was my next question. How'd you get into that part of it? <clears throat> yeah, I have zero idea. I can tell you right now. I don't, I don't really know. I, uh, the first year at ATA I met, um, I was just walking around and saw the Campbell cameras booth and I walked in and, um, you know, there was, I met Tom Petrie right off the bat. He was working at Campbell's at the time and, I knew nothing about cameras. I didn't know anything about mics. I didn't know anything about editing. I, mean, I knew nothing, like zero. Um, and uh, I talked to Tom for a little while there that day, and I, he basically gave me a price list of everything uh, that I would that I would need rather than selling me a package. Um, he just went through what I would specifically need to get started. And then when I got back home, uh took me a couple of weeks to kind of commit to it, and I just uh, – called and said and ordered my first camera and um 
and just started trial and error filming. And yeah. uh, it's the only way the you next, can learn is go out there and start filming stuff. Well, the next year, um, uh, I uh, I just got in this lease in Kansas, and I've been hunting Kansas off and on for a couple of years with with a buddy on his place. But he was he was an an old rodeo buddy of mine, but he also was an outfitter and. He'd let me come out there and hunt for free, but it was kind of in between clients, and I always felt bad, you know, if I was out there hunting and I was seeing deer, and he had paid clients in 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 camp that weren't seeing deer, or I don't know, there was just always a, I just always felt weird about that, you know, um, and then two, just kind of not having the freedom to, uh, he pretty much gave me the freedom to come and go like I wanted to, but at the same time, it just wasn't mine, and and um, I had an opportunity to. to uh, lease a, a small farm there and, and uh in kansas with a couple of buddies and that first year i went out there by myself um i was there for 21 days by myself in a little old we had a little old rundown camper we bought for like 700 bucks and i can tell you when i when i we parked it there in september and when i came back uh the last week of October and I went in there, there were snake skins laying on the floor. Oh, that's <laughs> I mean, comforting. Was, it was, uh, uh, it was definitely not living. I mean, it, it was, it was, I wouldn't even say it was a step above wall tents. Cause I've got a pretty nice wall tent now. And, uh, I like staying in it pretty well. And I would have rather stayed in it than, than that camper most of the time. But, uh, I spent 21 days trying to, trying to kill one deer out there with my bow. And, um, and I filmed it all uh, with one one GoPro and um, uh, you know the little uh, Canon AX10. Is that what those were? Yeah, little, uh, X, X8, X8, yeah X8, 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 yeah. X8, 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 and um, I filmed everything. I filmed all 21 days. Every day I was filming. I never basically there was rarely a time that I didn't have either the GoPro rolling or or my cannon rolling and I just filmed that whole deal of me just 21 days by myself up there. Uh, the monotony of every day chasing this one deer and then, uh, and never, never killed him. Um, and I came back and I wanted to make a film out of it. And I had a buddy that, uh, had just graduated from, from film school and, uh, he came over to the house and we sat in my living room floor on his, on his MacBook and we edited the film and, um, it was called, that's what it was called, 21 Days in November. Um, and we, but, <laughs> oh, sorry, the phone starts going off. I thought sorry. I had that turned off. Anyway, um, so, uh, so we, so we, we do that, uh, right my, there. My Lord, hold on, my phone. <laughs> Apologize, everybody. You can tell that we don't edit this thing. <laughs> my, my phone. Thought I had all that turned off. I guess I don't. Well, you, well, you made you made me jump because I turned mine off. Now I thought my phone's not on. Oh but, uh, gosh! But we, uh, we, we, we basically put the whole film together in the living room floor of my house and um, uh, entered it in the Badlands Film Festival, the very first ever Badlands Film Festival, and uh, we uh, won second. Um, there were. I guess eight feature films and uh, uh, four GoPro films, and we won second in the feature film. And uh, uh, I don't know, that kind of started the bug with me of, with filmmaking. I just yeah. really enjoyed that aspect of it. And 
That's cool. Just uh, that's move, that's move really from there. that's cool to get to. I mean, essentially your first, I guess, you know, dipping your toe into the whole thing that, was a passion project that you you know you got to do for fun. And I've been you know I've been wanting to try and <clears throat> have enough time to try and do one of those films. I've got several ideas to you know to do a film festival. You know whether it's the Badlands or the Full Draw or whatever it is. I want to be able to have time to do those and. Uh, it's not looking like this year is going to happen either, but um, that, that's usually good things. That means you're busy. But um, we were talking at ATA, and you told me that you had recently purchased the original podcast, Bowcast. Tell me about that. Yeah, so uh, you know, when I first got into the bow hunting scene, uh, uh, I was looking for any information I could find, and I, I ran across this podcast on the internet. Um, basically, it was a web website called Bowcast, and it was a community, and and they had that was the very first hunting podcast I think, uh, ever. And, um, I listened to it, you know, pretty much religiously. And then after about a year, uh, of kind of getting into the industry, uh, they actually had me on there as a guest a couple of times. And, um, it was just pretty surreal to be on a podcast, the same podcast that, you know, I just listened to Michael Waddell on the day before and, uh, you know, different people in the industry that, that, you know, I'd looked up to and, and then to be a guest on it. Um, uh, I actually had an opportunity to, uh, to, to take over that, that podcast, uh, last year and we're rebuilding the website and everything now. So we're actually going to be relaunching Bowcast, which was the original hunting podcast. That's awesome, dude. That's really cool. I can't, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. I'm 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 excited and a little nervous at the same time. <laughs> oh yeah, well that the only reason you're nervous is because it's important, man. That's really cool. Right. Uh, you do a lot of self filming. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk to me about your because I've you know I talked about it a couple times and I've had Casey Shootman and Tom James on here talking about self filming, but kind of want to get your perspective too about you know how you set up, what gear you're running. I know you told me when we were talking that you like to keep it simple because you kind of have to, because either if you don't keep it simple, you're going to be carrying too much crap or it's going to get monotonous and you're going to stop doing it. So kind of walk me through what, what gear you're running, how you generally set up and uh, all that good stuff. Well, um, now I'm, I'll tell you, I, I, I use my Canon 70 D 90% of the time. Now um, it took me a while to change over from that. And I can tell you what, I actually had to sell, um, my, I actually had graduated up from the XA 10 to the XA 20 and, um, and that camera, it, it, I, I would recommend anyone who's going to sell film. I would recommend starting with either the 10 or the 20, um, the, the XA 10 or 20, mm-hmm. um, because self filming with those cameras, they're, they're so simple to operate. I mean, you've got a lot more I know you've you've used some of them yeah, before. I'm I've sure. used the tw- I've used the ten and the twenty. They're they're awesome, solid little cam- second cameras you, for sure. Yeah, and they're and they've got a lot of features on them that that you know if, when you're just starting out you won't use. I mean, you can basically just use them like a camcorder with a really cool zoom. Um, so, uh, you know, to me, I recommend anybody starting out start out with that because um, it's just so simple. But uh, as I started you know, progressing in, uh, what I wanted to see as far as my films went with, uh, uh, just the overall look of it where I had more of a cinematic look and I could get more dynamic and I could get, you know, a lot more of those, 
you know, everybody likes to call them epic shots. You know, I, I knew I was going to have to do something different. So, um, I started my first DS, my first DSLR was, um, uh, T5i. So I bought a T5i, um, and I used it for, you know, just basically taking pictures and shooting some B-roll and stuff. And then I realized when I got back into, uh, into post-production that, you know, God, my, my SLR footage just looks so much better than, than the, than the XA10 yeah. or the XA20. And I thought, man, I should just be doing this all the time. And so I tried to do some self-filming with it and it was just so hard to, mm -hmm. uh, to operate it self-filming wise because, you know, with, uh, especially with, from the tree stand or a tripod or anything with, uh, with the XA10 or 20, you know, I had a bear zoom on my, uh, fluid head and I could actually run everything from the fluid head and, you know, from the fluid head handle. And I didn't have to, you know, actually be messing with my camera all the time. Um, when you change over to that SLR, man, it's, you, you know, you're, you're not running autofocus anymore. You're, you're not able to control anything from that handle anymore. You're having to control it. You know, if you want to focus, you're having to reach up there and turn your focus rings. Yeah. Everything's manual. Everything's manual. And, uh, but the advantages of that are the footage that I get now is so much better. I mean, yeah. God, just, you know, but at the same time, um, the low light capabilities of the SLR was so much better. Well, I ended up buying, a uh, a used 70 D, um, after a little while and I started self filming some of it. And finally I just said, if I'm going to, keep doing this i gotta sell my xa20 and so i sold it so that i would never use it again yeah yeah <laughs> that's one way just... to yeah that's one way to keep yourself from you know getting lazy is get rid of what's going to try and make you lazy yeah it was just too easy to uh to grab that thing and go but then when i'd get back and, and look at the footage you know it just i was like man i should have my slr up there mm -hmm. um but uh that's so, so i still film most of the stuff i film self-filming i still filmed my 70d um obviously i have several lenses you know that i use but um you know for different situations but usually 70d with a sennheiser um uh, mic and either i've got sennheiser wireless and i've got a sennheiser you know mini boom mm -hmm. and it's uh uh and those work great um and for years i used gopro for you know, my, my POV cameras or just like trying to get shots, ba those basic shots of when you're, you're going into a stand or you're mm -hmm. going into a blind or you're setting up a decoy or you're doing whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. I just always used the GoPros and just this last year, um, I pretty much got rid of all my GoPros and went to Sony Handycams. Okay. How are you liking um, the Sony Handycams? Really like the fact that I've got a little bit of zoom on it and whenever um you know it's for what i do you know uh i think they work better because i can set them up as a pov camera in a tree stand or in a blind and i can flip that screen around and i can see exactly what i'm focused on to where with you know my gopros i was just getting that wide angle and and it just always looked like gopro footage to do, me, you, you know? do, you, do you know the uh model number of that sony camera <laughs> Oh, it's 
it's just the Sony Handycam. I can't remember what the model number is. It's like I can tell you, it's like 150 bucks. Oh, really? Um, so it's not. But, so as far as price goes, it's probably even cheaper uh, than buying a new GoPro. Oh yeah, and the batteries. The batteries are like 40 bucks, and um, and the battery lasts forever. I can tell you, I filmed for I filmed for three days with it, and on one charge. So I'm I'm uh, looking at one right now. I'm pulling some stuff up as you're talking about it, and. This looks like a Sony Handycam CX405 flash memory, flip out LCD, shoots in. I think this shoots at 1920 by 1080, and it's mm-hmm. 200 bucks on Best Buy. So, I mean, that's... Yeah, I bought it. I bought mine off of Amazon for like $159. Yeah, and, um, yeah that's awesome. I, that, that's something, I mean, I've known guys doing that, but I've, I've never done it myself. But as far as setting up angles, like a GoPro angle, or like I use the Garmin Verb a lot, but mm-hmm. you you know it's that angle. You know what kind of camera that was shot on, and generally the quality and the you know the, the how it bends the edge of the screen because it's a fisheye lens. Yep. You know people can see that, and it and to me sometimes that you know takes down the production value of the shoot. But to be able to run a couple of those like handy cam type cameras, especially like I like to do a lot of stuff in the truck, like setting up different yep. shots in the truck, and um, like you're talking about walking in and out of the stand. But those I would think. Sometimes even I, I try not to use audio off that kind of thing, but you could probably even yeah. pull audio off that kind of thing sometimes. Yeah, the audio on it's actually really good. Um, uh, you can't. You, I, I think there is a there is a place to hook a, a external mic up to it, mm-hmm. but the audio on it was so good that um, whenever I, I actually filmed the first first afternoon with it, I came back and popped the card in the computer and was listening to the audio, and the audio was actually so good. I mean, like you could. You could hear crickets. I could hear birds. I could hear everything. I mean, the audio was actually really good on that camera. A lot better than I got with GoPro. Yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah. It's, it's hard. It's it's not hard to beat GoPro or Verb audio. Their audio is is only for reference. Other than that, it's useless. Yeah, and that's what I liked about the fact that because um, I was I was actually had had actually played around with um, my my. Uh, my T5I, I'd taken it and used it as a point of view camera a couple of times, and I really liked the way it looked, but I didn't want to have to fool with it. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it was just, there was just, that was too much. I mean, I'm, I'm self filming with a, with, with an SLR, and then I'm trying to use an SLR for my point of view camera. So I'm having to operate two cameras. That's just way too much movement. Yeah. And that's um, a lot. Uh, so, but I just didn't want that GoPro look anymore. I wanted something different. So, um, I actually, uh, the way I kind of decided to do the Handycam thing was a buddy of mine that is actually one of my partners in Living the Brand, lives in Oklahoma. He and I used to rodeo together, and um, he kind of is, uh, I guess you could call him kind of the COO of, of what we do, but he, uh, uh, he'd he never filmed or anything before, but he'd start taking a Sony Handycam with him out filming with it. He sent me some of the footage, and I was like, man what are you filming on? And he told me, and I said, that's, I mean, that looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. And it sounded good. So that's when I decided, and especially to for the it. money. Yeah. You can't beat it for the money. I mean, uh, uh, it, it, and so now that's pretty much what I'm doing. I mean, I still have one GoPro that, um, uh, I keep just like, if I'll, you know, for some you emergencies know, back thing, up yeah. or, or like, um, uh, bow fishing in the, you know, during the summertime, we do a lot of bow fishing, and I like to try to get some some underwater shots, yeah. and I can put that housing on there, yeah. and I can get those underwater shots with it. And, um, 
you know, I'm cool with that. But, but yeah, both for the most part, um, that's pretty much my setup right now. Is uh, and I have the, um, I also have the Sony uh, A7S II. Um, now I love that when I'm filming other people. Like if I go out on a job and film other people, that's generally what I. That's what I film them with. Yeah. It's 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 really hard to self film with that camera because yeah. the fact that the screen doesn't flip out. Yeah. Um, you, are you running a, a rig on that of any kind, and how you how are you running audio to that camera? Because I know that's kind of one of the issues with DSLR generally. If you're running live mics or you're running, you know, like those A7Ss are so small, you essentially have to yep. buy a rig for them and build them out and have different places to attach things. I actually don't have. Uh, I've actually got. The, a cage for my a7s and i haven't ever put it on there hmm. um but you know for for the most part i just run a you know run a beach tech and then i just run a bracket off the top of it and i'll hook if i have to run two mics i'll, I'll run both mics off of off of that bracket through the beach tech works if, well um, for you yeah it's working fine so far for what i do i mean um uh, so far the audio has been been fine and then you know there's so much you can do in post with your audio. Um, I'm not super great at audio correction, but I have a really good buddy that, that is. And, and, uh, you know, if, if I have, if I get into something and I don't really like the audio, uh, he'll come over and sit down and at my computer and he'll, he'll help me tweak the audio a little more. Audio corrections are a booger for me, yeah. man. I've, um, uh, yeah. I know enough to be dangerous as far when it comes to fixing audio. Yeah, I, I don't even know enough to be dangerous. I just <laughs> every time I start tweaking on my audio, it's uh, it ends up, you know, uh, uh, edit undo, edit undo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you're it sounds like you're in like a, a tunnel or something when you try to work mess with it too much. Well, um, but what uh, what I wanted to talk about next was kind of uh, you know, you went through your gear, kind of how you're doing things, and uh, kind of your process. Uh, that's. I want to kind of get into what your 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 planning is when you're going to go on a trip. Say you're going to, you know, do go do that big Kansas trip again, and how would you go about planning that trip? You know, what is what's your process? Because you know, a lot of times I'll go through a pre-production process where I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to do this. I know the hunt's going to be this. I want to make sure I get this, this, and this. You know, what is what's your you know process? Is are you more of a you know fly by the seat of your pants, or do you sit down and try and do some a lot of pre-planning because I know a lot of guys. Some guys are really good at you know just running with it. I'm not one of those guys. I uh, I'm better if I run with it. I can tell you I do like you know I've got a film coming out for Onyx. Um, uh, hopefully we get it we get it finished during the next month because we shot it last spring. Um, but there was a few things about it I wanted to change and. Um, to, to be honest with you, I'm kind of waiting on the weather to change it and get a little closer to turkey season. But uh, um, it's called Chasing Spring, and I actually self-filmed myself in five states on public land chasing turkeys out of uh, you know a couple couple places I slept in my truck because I was afraid of bears. Mm, nice. um, a couple places I you know just pulled up and threw out a two-man tent, and uh, uh, and I was by myself the whole time, and you know uh, basically one GoPro and my camera and you know i storyboard out some of that just specific shots you know like um you know i want to try to get any kind of scenic shots you know that that's going to let people know the kind of terrain that i'm in mm -hmm. um where so, i'm at 
so uh, when, where I'm going. In terms of in terms of that project, is that something that that did you work this out with Onyx before you left, or is this something that you went out and filmed and then pitched to them after the fact, or is it something that's an ongoing relationship, or you know how would you go about that if it wasn't an ongoing relationship? Is that something that you normally go out and film a film and then say, hey, I use your product and pitch it to them. What's your, what's your, I guess your back end on doing that kind of stuff. I've, I've, I've been with Onyx since man, uh, the year, I think two years after their inception. I mean, when they, uh, I met those guys while I was in uh, Turkey camp in, in Montana, Jason, Matt Zinger and I, uh, we started doing a thing called wall tent turkey camp in, in montana uh there's been several episodes of it on uh i think every year someone who comes up there with us produces an episode on sportsman's channel or outdoor channel about wall tent turkey camp now but uh started out just me and jason uh in a wall tent in the missouri breaks in montana in prime elk hunting country but we were turkey hunting just just like but we were turkey hunting just like elk camp that's um, crazy that's cool and the next year we invited um, a few other people. Willie Schmidt, who's one of my really good friends from uh, Pure Hunting, and uh, Jim Kinsey and Jana Waller from Skullbound, and then the Onyx Maps guys came uh, because Jason was working with them. And from that point, you know, I just developed a personal relationship with those guys, and it uh, they actually helped with the living. You know, they were a sponsor on the Living the Brand project for for Badlands and. Um, uh, and now, you know, basically I'll just, I'll just pitch them the project and say, here's what I, here's what I think would be cool. And, you know, they're like hammer out a budget and let's see what we can do. And, um, so far, you know, this will be, I've got two films, two films working for them right now. Cool. That's awesome. What's a, yeah. um, What's a general budget that you like to work within? Is it something to where when you plan for a trip like that, is that something that you say, hey, you know, this is a, you know, is this a, you know, $5,000 project, this is a $10,000 project, or do you do it like to where it, if it takes you a certain amount of time, how do you usually budget something like that? I usually will go in and just, you know, figure out, first of all, what, what my primary costs are going to be. Um, you know, my primary cost of, you know, my primary expenses, which would be if I have to have any film permits, if I have to, um, cause I do a lot of filming on public land, especially with the Onyx map stuff. Uh, but I usually figure out, you know, uh, the obvious stuff, fuel, food, travel tags. Um, and then I start figuring up, you know, start contacting different States to see what I've got to have permit wise. Um, and, uh, then from there, I just, you know, basically come up with a total that I can live with, mm -hmm. uh, and hope that I don't go over it <laughs> Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Uh, because inevitably people like us, we, you know, there's always, we always end up putting more time in it than we expected. Um, and I would rather, I would rather, you know, put more time in you know, post-production wise, uh, because basically, you know, we work for ourselves. So if I have to spend, a, if I have to spend a few extra days on something at home, you know, it's not like I'm out in, you know, yeah. anything, but my time yeah. and I'm, I'm cool with that. So long as, so long as I, I feel like I've, um, uh, you know, got all those expenses, expenses covered and I can make, uh, 
a salary off of it that, or not a salary or I can, I can make, make a check off of yeah, it that I can live with, yeah. then I'm happy. Um, you know, with the, with the, the film projects, you probably heard that. That's my driveway alarm. That means UPS is here. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> uh, 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 the, uh, uh, with, um, with on, with the two on X films, um, you know, I had a, a, a relatively small budget, um, and, and I'm cool with working in those, in those, uh, parameters, I guess, because I know that, you know, they've got Jason Matzinger and they've got, uh, you know, I guess the born and raised guys had that big project. They did the, the, um, 50 days or, or yeah, yep. They had that big project they did this year. And so I know that a lot of Onyx's budget was already spent on that. So, you know, when we sit down and do budget, um, basically if, if they'll allow me to bring, you know, some of my other sponsors on board with it, then that'll actually offset, you know, yeah. some of the costs. And, and, and actually on this project, uh, basically, uh, it, it did. I mean, I brought in, I brought in four other sponsors that I've worked with for a long time and it was, it was a, you know, a, a fairly inexpensive, uh, you know, it was fairly inexpensive for them to be a part of the films awesome. and their products were already going to be in the films anyway. And so they were more than happy to, to, to help me out with, uh, with part of the budget. And so, you know, a lot of times we do that, but like I'm doing, um, six short films for, um, lifestyle type films for bear this year. And, yeah. um, uh, and they're, they're bear specific. And I mean, the budget's already been knocked out. That's basically, my main meeting at um, ATA this year was just to sit down. We already had the logistics figured out, kind of what we wanted to do, but we just had to knock out budget. So they um, should have some budget. They got rid of Pigman, so they should have plenty of budget left over. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. You know, I didn't even know that till I till I got till I, the week before I left to go up there. But uh, um, yeah, just just um, uh, one of the things, one of the things I think that that most of these companies are starving for is content for social media. Oh yeah, um, content and, is king. Yep, and you know the the hardest thing for them to do is, and, and I don't want this to sound bad, but it's hard to get the the television shows that they're that they're actually you know promoting to actually sit down and do. Mm-hmm. Um, photos well because because here's the thing with with guys like you and i if they've got us hired to come in and film for them you know on a weekly basis yeah they want to um and they want to hunt and then when it comes time to do those extra photos or those short videos that you need to be doing while you're in camp or doing something it's like pulling teeth sometimes yep. to get those dudes to want to do it because exactly. they're just so into the hunt and then the companies that are that are paying them are looking over going hey you know we need this amount of content from yeah. you for, for social media. And then since they didn't get it on the hunt, they're going to have to pay you or I to come back out yeah. and shoot that content. And they don't want to do that. Yeah. That's well, extra. And the reason, you know, and you hit the nail on the head with, they don't want to have to mess with it, but you look at the, you know, you look at the shows that are really making a lot of money and the ones that are mm -hmm. killing it. Guess what they're doing. They're taking the time to do those things. They're bringing they're in, you know, they're scheduling in a couple of days, during their hunting season to bring in a, uh, a photographer or they're, you know, setting aside time to take pictures or, you know, they're really looking at making sure that they create that content because let's be honest, the TV thing isn't where the money's coming from anymore. 
it's coming from that content. It's coming from people on Instagram and Facebook, you know, seeing brands and seeing products and wanting to be able to say, hey, I see that bow that so-and-so is using. I want to click on this, you know, this ad and, you know, check it out. Or I want to see what, you know, I want to see who's tagged in this post and, you know, go find out what kind of bow that was. And if you're not going to take the time to do those things, then just be ready to be struggling to try and keep sponsors on board. Yeah. You, you know, a prime example is a guy like Donnie Vincent, you know, um, I really look at a lot of stuff Donnie Vincent does. A lot of people, some people may know him, may not. I mean, he's got 60 or 70,000 followers on, on Instagram and he's, he's a filmmaker. I mean, he's not on television, Yeah. but, and he generally doesn't put out a film, but every couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, but God, like I can tell you, I, I do anxiously await that film or Aaron Hitchens with uh, beyond the roar, you know, from rock house motion. I mean, you look at some of the stuff those guys are doing and that's, but, but they're, they're creating that content through those films too. So you've got, you know, and the main reason is, is because a lot of those guys are, are basically videographers and photographers and editors. I mean, they're producers first. Um, so even though they're actually in those films and hunting, they're constantly thinking about what they can get, you know, content wise mm-hmm. to, to help promote, not only promote the film, but promote the, the partners that they had to allow them to make the to, to promote and, them, but also not promote them in a way that seems like they're like a commercial, like a commercial yeah. or they're whoring them out. You yeah, know, there's, exactly. there's, there's right ways to do things and there's wrong ways to do things. And we've seen the wrong ways for a long time on television. Yeah, and it's uh, and, and and even on social media, there's wrong ways. I mean, I, I look at photos, dude. I thumb past anything on social on on Instagram that if it looks like somebody just went out in in their backyard and set it up, you know, because mm-hmm. they needed some content that day. And I look at it, and I mean, I know I know where they did it. I mean, you know where they did it. You mm-hmm. know how they did it. And oh I, yeah. But and that may just be that side of me that as a producer that I look at it that way, and it's not it's not what I want. So the way yeah. I look at it, if, if we can create more lifestyle type photos, more lifestyle type videos for these companies to use, um, in real scenarios, um, then to me, it just, I mean, the, the general hunting public is, you know, they're, they're looking at a film going, you know, wow, uh, he really took me there. And, or they're looking at a short, you know, Facebook, film or they're looking at a picture and they're and they're believing you know that if, if it's real if it's lifestyle based then they're believing wow he, he that was really taken mm-hmm. in that moment and yeah. they can see that and you know it's kind of like the old cutaways we used to do and i know you've done them and we've done a jillion of them where that mm-hmm. one cutaway where you got to get from in front of the dude drawn back with the bow or or in at the at the front side of the shotgun during turkey season you know and it's yeah. and i always hated those cutaways i hated those cutaways i hated seeing them and i hated shooting them because yeah in my mind you know everyone knows i wasn't sitting in front of dude shotgun when yeah. he's getting ready to shoot his turkey and um, the the in and i agree with that in part you know i've i've struggled with that before too and i've had that conversation well why would you do that you know you're you know lying to the viewer you're you're whatever and it's like well first of all if they don't have enough common sense to know that that was shot after the fact then i can't help them but the second yeah, exactly. second second thing is is in doing tv and doing a film is you know catching things as they happen in in the moment 
is nearly impossible most of the time. So mm-hmm. I I understand and a viewer should understand yeah. that if those are done tactfully and they're done in the right way, though that is used to tell the story and that is used to you know, either keep show pace up to slow a story down to speed a story up. There is there is value in that shot if it's done right and has thought put into it. But the one that you just randomly get and roll through, I mean, I I, I completely understand what you're saying too. But, yeah, and I think that that's another thing. I know you know we talk a lot about, uh, and one of the things I see a lot is, and I guess this is from the filmmaker process, and this is why I like to I like to do the films over TV because I've I've done some, you know, freelance TV stuff and, and like with one specific company that I, that I shot a lot for, you know, four years ago. Um, I mean, they had a specific list of what they wanted me to get and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted nothing else. They wanted, you know, uh, interview, tell them where we were, uh, interview from, the, you know, actually footage from in the field. Then they wanted the animal coming in. They wanted the kill shot. And then they wanted you to shoot five cutaways and that was their specifics. And that's all they wanted. Good Lord. It was, uh, I'd feel like I'll steal them from somebody if that's all I filmed. Yeah. But that's, yeah, me too. But that's what they wanted. I mean, cause the first job I went on, they didn't give me any guidelines and I filmed everything, dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, uh, man, I can't, I don't even remember how much footage I sent in from that first, from that first job I went on. Um, it was, it was four days and, dude like i had a camera rolling on everything i mean i'm just but that comes from the filmmaking process i think um yeah because when you're when you're doing the filmmaking process you're trying as hard as you can to capture everything real time yeah and um and you can you've got that you know but in television you're always trying to either like we talked about before you're either trying to lengthen or shorten you're trying to you're trying to cut time or or make time um, and it, it's a different, it's a different deal. I don't have any stipulations on how long I can make a film. Um, so I understand it to an extent, but I guess that's why I like the filmmaking process a little better. But, yeah. uh, and, and like the interviews, you know, I know, I know there's, there's times that we, we have to have them, uh, yeah. to try to, to try to tell the story and, uh, and, and I, I'm not totally against interviews. Yeah. I just would, I just would rather, I feel like if oh, I can get, I'm right if, there I can, with you. if I can have that camera rolling, um, I would rather have that camera rolling well, and, that's, and get, get that in the field. Oh, as man. It's my, my next, my honest to God, my next podcast I just took notes for today is about that exact thing. Um, it's about the difference between a cameraman and producer and the difference between them. And that's producing in the field and then just vomiting through the camera lens, you know, shooting with a purpose, yep. but that's a whole nother subject. But uh, anyway, to, to kind of bring it all back, I know that, uh, you know, you've kind of touched on it with Onyx Maps, but I want you to talk about some of the public land stuff that you do, because pretty much most of everything you do is public land, I would assume now, right? And kind a of, lot of it. And, and how important public lands are to you, because I know that's a huge fight going on right now. Yeah, a, a lot of the stuff I do is on public lands, and, and, um, and I still still have my lease in Kansas, and I, I you know, I hope for as long as I can afford it. I want to always, I love that place. It's like, uh, my dream was to hunt Kansas for all those years. And, and, uh, when I finally got to start going up there and hunting and get my own place, I just loved it. But the rest of the time I can tell you, I, it's hard to keep me off public land. There's something about the challenge of it. Um, 
uh, I've hunted public lands from from Montana to Florida, basically. Um, and uh, just the fact that those lands have been set aside and protected for all these years for everyone to be able to utilize. I mean, not only hunters, but hikers, uh, mountain bikers, uh, just campers, fishermen. Um, and as far as the national monuments go, I mean, you've got, you've got, uh, all the, you know, all the tourists that want to go see the national monuments and see the Buffalo and see the elk in Yellowstone. And I mean, uh, we're, we're the only country that has this, um, you know, I guess Canada's got some, but, um, we're basically the only, the only country that, that has this where we have, you know, uh, what is it? 600 million acres of lands that are set aside for us to protect and us to utilize. And I think why it's so important to me is, you know, when I, I started, I started hunting late, you know, because I was so immersed in rodeo. I didn't start hunting until I was in my twenties. And then I got into bow hunting. That was the first thing that really got me hooked was bow hunting and um i hunted around you know my little deer camp for forever and uh and loved it but at a certain point in time you just kind of you know you know that place like the back of your hand and if you're a guy like me i mean i'm looking for uh a different adventure yeah um and that took me on to public land in arkansas and at that point i started hunting public land uh in arkansas pretty heavy um we have a 45 day rifle season in Arkansas. So, uh, when, when rifle season would start, I would go to the public land because all of our public land in Arkansas is, is bow hunting only. Oh, that's cool. So I would just rifle season would start. I would bail to the public land. And that way, um, a lot of times, man, I wouldn't see anybody for, you know, for days. Yeah. And, and that is to me, it's, it's, it's our greatest natural, it's our greatest natural resource. And right now, just to think that, you know, there's so many ways that kind of under the table, you know, uh, the politicians are going about trying to get those resources. And it's not just the land. I mean, they're, they're already trying to sell off the land, but they're also trying to get those resources that have been protected. They're trying to go in and, you know, they've, they've, they've broken off the regulations on, on coal mining, on copper mining, uh, on big timber logging, um, you know, I think just recently the uh, Fresh Water Act was repealed. Um, and these are all bad things. I mean, there's, and it's, it's not just good. It's not just bad for, for hunters or hikers or bikers. It's bad for the environment. I mean, it's not good. If, if you've ever seen anywhere where they've gone in and, and, and done any coal mining and then walked off and left it, I mean, man, they just – for lack of a better word, I mean, they basically rape a place and then leave. Yeah. Um, and when they leave it, it's, you know, it's just basically a, a giant mosh pit of crap. And yeah. I don't, I don't want to see that happen. Um, especially for the, you know, the, the, the price of greed, you yeah. know, it's all about a dollar and, um, you know, we've got to figure out ways to, uh, to, you know, work on the national debt and all these problems that we have in, in the world other than getting rid of our greatest natural resource. And I think that's why Theodore Roosevelt saw, you know, uh, when he first came to the West and was hunting and, and doing all the things he was doing. Uh, and he saw the way basically civilization was moving West into those, uh, 
those wild places and and i think he he saw a need for that he, he was like you know we've got to protect these because if we continue we're going to end up you know like china or or even or england where it's basically the only people that hunt in the uk are, are, are the rich mm-hmm. you, you have to own the land to hunt it um so you know if we want to end up like that then you know so be it but if 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 we want to the way i look at it this is our watch this is my generation's watch your generation's watch on this land and it's up to us to, to do everything we can in our power to protect it and guys like sam soholtz and that are you know he's out spreading the word through uh you know outdoor his article that he just did with the, the public lands bus yeah, um, bus. yeah i saw that yeah the his article for outdoor life um it's uh you know uh steve Vernella does a great steve Vernella you know volunteers his time to go um speak at the bha the the backcountry hunters and anglers events and different um conservation groups and 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 uh like the wilderness society in different places um and volunteers his time to go do that he doesn't charge him um you know a, an appearance fee or they don't have to pay him to do that because he knows the value yeah and i think um I think that's important for all of us to see, especially in our part of the world where we live, Caleb. You know, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people around us don't feel like they feel like it's a Western thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if the foot gets in the they're starting in the West, but if the foot gets in the door in the West, we're next. I mean, mm-hmm. we're next. So, yeah. And we're, we're um, some more heavily populated. So it's, there's such yep. a, there's such a better reason to start getting rid of stuff in the Southeast because, you know, there's there's already too many people in the southeast to begin with, and we need more you know room to put people. So what you know what better place to do it than wide open ground? You know, and I don't I don't mind I don't necessarily like paying. You know, I know some of those guys out west pay. You know, some especially the guys that are producing TV shows out west on public land. I mean, some of those guys are paying you know fifteen twenty thousand dollars a year just for film permits, um, for the public land they hunt. Now, fortunately for me. I've never had to pay for a film permit. Um, most of the, most of the states that I've, when I, when I hunt in Montana, I usually hunt under someone else's film permit, um, because they've already got the permit and I'm usually in camp with them or I'm hunting with them. So they've already got the film permit. Um, but you know, like Nebraska, Oklahoma, um, Nebraska is actually the best, I mean, they they want you to come up there and promote mm-hmm. their public lands. They, yeah. they they're so good about yeah tourism, man. They they they're trying to you know they're trying to get tax dollars and tourists in there just like everybody else, and that's a way to do yeah. it. And and you know, so I think um, I think you know, hunting on public land is tough, man. But for a guy that I always look at it this way, for a guy like me, I mean, I never I couldn't afford to go pay you know thirty five hundred five grand to to an outfitter and go to one of these states and have five days to get it done, you know, and after that mm-hmm. five days, it's, you know, Hey, see you later. Yeah. Um, on to the next uh, one. Yep. And, uh, uh, so I always figure the best thing for me to do is, is, uh, uh, do it myself. And every, pretty much every state, you know, has got some pretty good public land hunting. So if there's a state you want to go hunt, um, Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota, um, these are all over the counter tags except for mm-hmm. Kansas, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, uh, man, they've got some great public land hunting and, yeah. uh, for somewhere under two grand, one guy by himself, you know, can, can go have a pretty darn good adventure for yeah. 
10 days. I had my, my elk in Colorado was, I would, I would, I don't know the for sure numbers, but it was around $2,000, you know, with tag travel, yep. everything for, and I killed an elk, man. You can't yeah. beat that with a stick. Mm-mm. Well, and dude, it was, and it actually made it better because you got to do the leg work. Yeah. You know? I mean, to me, it makes it even more well, special I, to me. I killed because, on the second day. I mean, it was like, I, was, yeah. I almost got cheated. Yeah, but yeah. you got to do the legwork. You 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 did it yourself. You found you found the spots. You found the elk. Mm-hmm. You know there was nobody in there, you know, dragging you around by the hand, telling give, you where to go. I give Onyx Maps a lot of credit for that hunt for sure. <laughs> well, dude, I really appreciate it. Um, I think we've been talking for a little over an hour now, so uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I got to run to the post office, and I'm sure you got some other stuff to do. But I do appreciate it, and uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, man, thank you. Been looking forward to it. All right, dude, I will talk to you soon. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, all, all new on the website, I've got a gear page up. So if you go to rednecktechpodcast.com, you can go to the gear uh, link, and it will have a you know a link straight to Amazon to all the stuff that I'm currently using, stuff that I've used in the past, stuff that I trust. You can click on that link, go right to it, and buy it. You know, it's one of those things that I get asked a lot of questions about what I'm running, so I just decided to put it all in one place. So go there and check it out. I am working on a camera school, still in the early stages of figuring out when and where it's going to be. Most likely it's going to be in Nashville sometime in March. So if that's something you're interested in, email me at rednecktechpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes, give it five stars. And if you really like it, write an awesome review. See you guys next time. (laughs) 